Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the eighth psalm. Pastor George launches a new sermon series on selfies. <laughs> well, more importantly, how we see ourselves in the light of God's presence and love. Let's listen together. In August of 1959, Judith Gold and I were married. Just, just look at that for a while. <laughs> Norm Reinhardt once came into my office and said, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. I've always remembered him for that, but yes, nostalgia is what it used to be. <clears throat> the next day, we set out in our little Nash Rambler, which was a dowry that Judy brought into the marriage. <laughs> for our honeymoon trip across the USA to Pasadena, California, 3,000 miles. That was before interstate highways, and we came all the way from Chicago on Route 66. The highlight of the trip was Judy, <laughs> but we also took in a lot of other scenery. Wow, what a country. We stopped at virtually every national park we came across or that was within driving distance of Route 66. Aside from our little Rambler car, our most prized asset was the new Kodak camera, state-of-the-art Kodak camera that we had bought for the trip. We took pictures of everything. I mean, we had never really been picture takers before, but it, there was just so much that we were in awe of. Of course, we got to California, and we couldn't look at them until they were developed in those dark ages. <laughs> That's what you had to do. And I think it took about a week before they were developed. We got them, brought them home, and couldn't wait to relive our great trip through the photos. Well, we tore through them one by one, anticipating that we would feel the same wonder each photo represented. I remember being let down. None of the pictures did justice to the scenery. None of them. So they were too small, too narrow in perspective. They weren't three-dimensional. They were technologically limited in 1959. And the other big difference was that each of those scenes were true to what we were looking at, but we weren't in them. And the hmm. truth is that when you're in awe of something, that you say, I have to take a picture of that, you, the person perceiving the wonder, you are part of it. It's not that you're in the picture, but your feelings are in the picture. Part of the experience that you're trying to capture is including yourself. Well, today, you guys, well, I mean you guys who are under 100, <laughs> you understand what we were missing back then because of cell phones and selfies. Now, I have three images. This is the first one. This is a beautiful scene, and, and, and it's something you want to capture and, and, you, and, and you say, I want to remember this moment. 
But just like all those Kodak pictures, we're not going to get the same feeling. Maybe if I'm in the picture. There. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, my selfie, and with the scenery as a background, helps me capture that experience. You guys know that, all of you young people. Now, there's a problem, though, if my selfie dominates the picture. <laughs> Did you read that? It says, my, my daughter and granddaughter gave this to me. The man, the legend, Papa. Yeah, whatever it says. Oh, okay. Now, the wonderful thing about uh, taking selfies, well, some people are selfie addicts. Um, they... Uh, just can't stop taking selfies. And that's their whole life. Most of us aren't like that, but even for old dude just trying to get onto it, you don't have to be particularly clever or technologically advanced <laughs> to get into taking selfies. And, and, and taking selfies can be a bonding experience. I've, so many examples of this, the people we want to be with and the people we have shared experiences with appear in our selfies. Selfies can be a way of experimenting with how funny you can look. And a lot of people do this. Or you can experiment with how good you can look. This is me as a young man. <laughs> so as we were thinking about this and trying to consider where we would go with our new sermon series, we decided we'd start a series of sermons from selfies. So that's what we're doing today. Here's, we want this to be participatory because Connie's not as old as I am, but she's also antiquish. <laughs> and and the, the selfie thing is not innate. We weren't born with it like young people. And, and so some of you guys who have never lived without the concept of selfies have learned things that we don't even know about. So there are apps that can change your expression and make you come alive. There are all sorts of things that you can do with selfies. And there are all kinds of situations. So we're doing an open invite. Whatever selfie you have of yourself or one that you've discovered uh, that you think is interesting, send it to us. And it may show up in a sermon. <laughs> so we would like you to help us build this series because we, we really believe that there are a lot of things in the concept of the selfie um, phenomenon that can teach us something about ourselves. You'll see in our first lesson today, uh, we're going to focus on that 1959 honeymoon and what we discovered about the wonders of nature. I mean, I got distracted thinking about Judy. What we discovered about the wonders of nature. And we're going to look at, at Psalm 8. And you know, I have a file of old psalms, old uh, sermons I brought from Massachusetts when I came here in 1972. And I have them all well organized, and they're filed by scripture and so forth. And I said, I won't have to prepare a sermon for 10 years because I have 10 years worth of sermons. I've never been able to preach one because I've changed so much, right? But every once in a while, I go back, and it helps me on research. So I went back and said, I wonder 
what have I preached on Psalm 8 before? So I went into my files and I, oh, there's one on Psalm 8. There's two, there's three, four sermons on Psalm 8 from different times in my ministry life, and they're all different. <laughs> and, and yet, it's amazing that that psalm grabbed me early on. And I think it was because it's so important to my own life journey. So I'd like to go over it with you this morning. Uh, psalm 8, this is a poem. And there's a poetic pattern. If you look at verse 1, O Lord, our, in King James, that most of us grew up with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, I just want to stop for a moment and think of why O Lord, our Lord, or O Lord, our sovereign in the uh, Pew Bible that we have. Um, the names of God are so full of meaning. Uh, if I hate to say this, but if you don't know Hebrew, you can't really get in touch with all this. So study Hebrew. <laughs> but, but the names for God are powerful. And, and the name for God generically, the uh, word that everybody in the Near East would understand refers to the supreme being would be El, E-L. The plural of that would be Elohim. So that's a primary name for God. The word for Lord is Adonai, or my Lord is Adonai, but the word for Lord is Adon. And that means you are my master, my Lord. And that's the word that's translated sovereign here. That, that's a word that you would refer to God as, or your king, or your husband. So that is a, a, a primary word for God. Now the word, the first word Lord, which is all capitals, L-O-R-D, a clue in your King James Bible or the New Revised Standard. When, when you have those four letters translated all with capitals, it's translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, who are you, Lord? When I go to the people, who should I say sent me? And the Lord said, Yahweh sent you. I am who I am. That's what that word means. This is the covenant word for the people of Israel. So it's a special name for God that was their name for God. So when he says, O Yahweh, our Lord, he was saying something very profound that Yahweh, the, the special personal God of Israel, was really the God of the universe. He was our Lord. And those two words are used right up front. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Later on, you'll see why I said all of that. Now, that's, that's the opening theme. If you look down at verse 9, you will see that it says, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It begins and ends with the same statement. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all 
the earth. Those two statements are like bookends in this psalm, surrounding something in the middle of the psalm. And what is that? That's verse 4, which in the King James says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Bookends, who God is, surround what is man that you are mindful of him. Now, the modern version, trying to get rid of the masculine emphasis in what is man, made it plural, what are human beings, that you are mindful of them. Well, it really doesn't work very well. It gets kind of too generic. Um, I find it best to read this for, for my devotions this way. What am I that you are mindful of me? Or who am I? Hmm. So in a sense, this, this psalm is a, a two bookends, who God is, surrounding a question, who am I? Who am I in the context of who God is? That's the general pattern of this psalm. Now look again at uh, verse 4. What is man? Who am I? A person, every person, every person reflects on that question. At some point, and often at many points in life, we reflect on that question. What is the meaning of my life? How do I fit in? And this psalm says, you'll only understand this if you get the parenthesis right. If you begin and start and end with who God is. Between the parentheses, ask the question, who am I? Now, go back to verse 1 and uh, <clears throat> look at the phrase after that opening phrase. Lord, our sovereign, uh, you are high above and whatever. And then you have set your glory above the heavens. Then verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants. Okay, I want you to look at those two phrases. You have set your glory above the heavens. Look up to understand God. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, look down to understand God. That, that phrase, out of the mouths of babes and infants, is really interesting. Even before the baby can form words, they're able, the baby is able to know intuitively about a God above all things. Because depending on mom for your food and your sustenance is, is an allegory of your dependence on God. And in your natural growth, you will emerge from the one dependence to the other dependence. And you will see that God is the basis of all things. And even in the negatives of life, going on in verse 2, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. You will find in your life experience that even when things seem to be against God, that in the end, he is proven to be in control. That is the, the totality of God uh, and the, the, the 
uh, dominating presence of power of God in this psalm. And when, now verse 3, this is really a critical one. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have established, what time of day do you think this was written or conceived? There's no sun in the picture. Uh, the moon and the stars, that's where you, you kind of see it all. Uh, the sun dominates. In fact, you, you heard such a thing as, as urban uh, light pollution. Around any big city like where we are in the shadow of Los Angeles, you can't see many stars in a, even the clearest of night. I grew up in the shadow of New York City. Well, the light shadow of New York City. And the first trip west, when I first came to Fuller Seminary, I can remember we stopped in the middle of Indiana for a break, and I looked up, and I, I had never, never, ever imagined what a night sky looked like. I was in, you know, 20, 21, and I had never seen those stars before. But a shepherd on a hill, like David, whose name is on this psalm, a shepherd in, at midnight looking up has to be overwhelmed with it all. And of course, they were and he was. Night skies uh, teach us so much about our universe. And in the light of all of that, whatever it means, how immense it is, what am I, who am I that you care about me? Isn't that the feeling you get? Who am I that you care about me? Now that's what a person in, uh, in the day when this was written before Christ, this is what a person then would experience or what a person in the Middle Ages, but ever since then, we have developed scientifically, so we now have telescopes. So when we look up, we see so much more. And we now have microscopes. So when we look down, we see so much more detail. So we have telescopes and microscopes to increase the wonder. How much more do we know about how wonderful God is? When I was growing up, there was a bit of a anti-science feel in Christianity then. We think it's a new thing. But there was this creation versus evolution thing. So it was always science versus religion. And in my mind, it never, it never added up. Because to me, I think I heard this as a, a, a boy in science class. Um, science is thinking God's thoughts after him. That's the way I saw it. That's a quote from Johann Kepler, who in the 16th century was one of the uh, uh, forerunners of modern astronomy. Science is thinking God's thoughts after him, and that's the way I always saw it. And that's what the space scientist might be doing as an astronaut takes a selfie. Man, I think I would. So. Who am I? Who am I? That I mean, I see all the stars and then they tell me this black hole 
that I don't even see because it's a black hole. But inside that, there are other galaxies and stars and just kind of goes on and on and on. And I'm just beginning to discover all of that. Oh, my. I'm so dwarfed in the presence of God. And yet, look at verse 5. And yet, who, who am I that you even care about me? And yet, you have made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Wait, yes, yes, you. That God has made you a little lower than himself. I, I, I even have trouble saying it. Did you see that? A little lower than God. But you know what the word is there? It's the word Elohim. The word that often describes God himself. And you know, that was such a radical idea that people shrunk from it. Translators shrunk from it. And that's how we got the Greek way back 300 BC. When they translated from Hebrew to Greek, they said, a little lower than God? We can't say that. He must mean angels. So it got translated a little lower than angels. And that came down into our modern uh, versions of the Bible as well. But the Hebrew actually says a little lower than God. So if, if science tells us that we're a little above the apes, God tells us we're a little lower than him. Wow. Look up. Look down. And there's even demonstration of the fact that we are a little lower than God. In verse 6, you have given them, us humans, dominion over the works of your hand. Reference back to the Genesis creation account. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. For his time with scientific knowledge, he was just saying everything you could think of. Everything on this earth is one way or another under the dominion of human beings by God's design. Because he, unlike the other created creatures, he created humans in his image. Their physiology may be in the image of animals, but their spirituality is in the image of God. Though science sees me close to nature, God sees me differently. He sees me closer to himself. Why? Because he says so. That's the only reason. There's nothing as I look at the world around me, as I put my selfie against the nature in which I live, there's nothing that says I'm more important than anything else. Who was it that came into my office? Oh, it was Lauren came into my office and squashed Arthur, one of the ants that crawls up and down my wall. Man, some, somebody can squash me the same way tomorrow. I, I could be victim of a, of a gun assault or domestic violence. I'm just as, just as mortal as, as the ant is, as Arthur. Poor Arthur. <laughs> but God sees me differently. God sees me in relation to himself. Oh, my. Psalm 8, 
is a selfie where we see who we are in the context of who God is. It's such a shocking picture, but it's real. Enjoy your selfie against the background of nature's wonders of the world in which he's planted you. Lord, bless this message to us personally so that we can see ourselves in the context of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.